is missing in this description of verse 2 is Cornelius is right with God. At the beginning of Acts 10, Cornelius is lost. But he's devout, right? You see that? He prays, he fears God. And yet he's not right with God because there's more to being right with God than being devout, giving alms, and um, praying continually, fearing God. There's more. Let's go to Romans 2 now. The <clears throat> Romans 1 crowd are the immoral, of which we all um, are sinners like them, although not to the extent that they are. They have just thrown off all devotion to any God. They do not fear God, uh, like Cornelius does in Acts 10. Uh, any uh, religious laws that have been given, they um, break them. They may knowingly break them, ignorantly break them, but their lives are full of sin. Just full. Uh, they are untrustworthy. Uh, they, um, they are to be avoided. And the world says that too. Avoid the immoral with us. But the world's methods of or trying to help people to be a better part of society is to get them from Romans 1 to Romans 2, which is just start being honest, start working, start providing, start obeying, start paying taxes, uh, stop, stop blaspheming uh, God, uh, try to go to church, doesn't matter which church, just go, uh, the world says, and so if the world can get someone from Romans 1 to Romans 2, they think, success. This is it. This is all there is. But we see, saw last week, we'll see this week and, and next week at least in Romans 2, that there are several categories of moral people that you would love to have as your neighbor. Uh, and the world approves of them and their lifestyle for the most part, and yet they're not right with God. Well, who is Romans written to? Now, Pastor Ty uh, mentioned this a month ago, but let's go back to Romans 1 and to see, is Romans written to the world for them? Is it written to those who don't know Christ yet? If you look with me at Romans 1, He says in verse 7, who he writes to. He explains who he is, Paul, the slave of Christ Jesus, uh, in verses 1 to 6. And then in verse 7, he says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Romans is a book that is written not to the lost world. It's written to those who are loved and those who are called to be saints, those who are believers. So why do we need this book? Why do we need Romans 1 and 2? Well, Paul later uh, writes the book of Ephesians, and he says that pastors and 
well, apostles and prophets who helped, who helped write the uh, New Testament, um, were to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So this book is equipping you, as every New Testament book is, but it's going to equip you uh, for this first half of the book for evangelism. Like You need to know who you're talking to, because if you, as we read through the book of Acts together, we're seeing that the Apostle Paul, and knowing his audience, we, we saw this morning, uh, knows who he is preaching to, who he's teaching, uh, and starts at a different place, always is going to get to the gospel, the good news of Christ dying on the cross for our sins, but how to bring people from uh, where they're at, where they're at spiritually, where they're at morally, is helpful. And so if, we and I, if we're talking to people and discerning, we're talking about Romans 1, we would probably refer to creation. Why? Because an immoral person, any law, any, any, uh, anytime you bring up God's word, they may something, say something, and I've heard this before, I said, well, what you're doing is against, what God, God, against the Bible or against God's word, and they said, that's the Bible's problem. I was like, oh. this was a teenager who at age 12 or 13 had come to hate God that much that that would come out of his mouth. All right, so when you're dealing with the immoral and they reject God's word, what do you do? You point them to creation. And in Romans 1, we saw creation, and when we point people, because even the immoral, they're living in the middle of God's creation. They can get a telescope and see the glory of God. They can get a microscope and see the glory of God. They're living in the middle of science. And science declares the glory of God. If we're talking, though, to someone who is moral, uh, Romans 2 will be a help to you to know how to talk to them. Last week, we looked at the moral that weren't really mentioning the religious. And I, I refer to the religious today because he starts talking about Gentiles. In contrast to Jewish people, and the rest of Romans 2 is going to talk about Jewish people compared to Gentiles. And, uh, and the law, and so religious people. So how, how do moral people live? They live in a way that's approved by the world. Uh, they're not murderers. Uh, they're not pathological liars. Uh, they can be trusted. Uh, you would like to have them as a neighbor. And a subset, a category within the moral are those who are very moral because they're following some written rules or traditions, uh, these could be, uh, and following some sort of religion, uh, religious leaders. Um, Cornelius is one of those. Uh, but you know the Apostle Paul was one of these back in Acts 8 and 9 before he was converted. Uh, the Pharisees were these. Uh, the religious leaders, the chief priests and the scribes around Jesus' time and in the book of Acts, they are in this category as well. So they are, in my estimation, the hardest to reach with the gospel. Why? Well, if you've tried to talk to very religious people, they will say in, in a short, shortened version, I'm all set. I don't, I don't need anything. I go to church. You can go to church daily if you want. Very religious. You can go to uh, get what you think is grace from God on a daily basis. 
You can have your family pray for you after you die and give money to a church. You can make pilgrimages. All these things that the world says, this is how you get right with God. This is how you stay right with God. And yet, Romans 2 is going to disagree. The Apostle Paul was steeped in this. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. When the Pharisees wanted to know what to do, they looked at the Saul of Tarsus as their example. He was a model Pharisee. And he got knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus, which we saw in Acts 9 uh, last week in our reading, and humbled. The religious are the best of the moral, but they are still not right with God. Let's pick it up in verse 12. We read 11. Um, God shows no partiality. You may have a heading up above your verse 12, and those headings aren't uh, inspired. So verse ele- I, I want us to read verse 11 because to show that God shows no partiality between the moral, uh, the immoral, the moral, or the religious, uh, God shows no partiality. He doesn't matter what your nationality is, how many laws that you are obeying. Um, and so you start, you start getting a religious flavor whenever you see the Jew first and also the Greek, and then the Jew first and also the Greek several times here in 9 and 10. And then he's going to start going into the law. Religious people have a list of laws that they obey. Verse 12, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So Paul gives us here two categories, but notice what's true of both categories, sin. Sin here is the problem. It's just summarized as sin or sinned, it's not list, the list of sins back in verses 29 to 31, and you can refer back to those lists of sins as you're talking to people. And as uh, you were guilty of your sins, some of those sins uh, were more obvious to you um, that you have uh, committed them. So those who are without the law are judged, will also perish without the law. And all who sinned under the law will be judged by the law. I'm going to read verse 13, and then we'll explain it. Verse 13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. All right, so you can go to church every single day of your life, and you can hear God's Word read every single day. You can actually read it. You can pray very devoutly. You can give money to the poor very generously. And Cornelius did that, and yet there was something missing. You can be the head of a large religious organization and not be right with God. So how the religious are not right with God And if we were to summarize verses 12 and 13 with how the religious are not right with God, the religious are still, despite their best efforts of being moral and following a moral code, following laws, 
You see the word law over and over and over again now. That there is something written that these moral people are trying to follow desperately. They've been taught as a child. They've been taught as a teenager. They've been living it, trying to live it as an adult. And they're still disobedient. Well, the religious in verse 12, the first half, would probably agree with the first half, okay? Verse 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And if you talk to a very religious person and you tell them, well, there are people that don't have your list of rules and they're going to perish. And they would say, well, yeah, because they don't have my list of rules. They're not making their pilgrimages. They're not uh, baptized as a baby. They haven't had the first communion. They haven't, and they just list the rules that they have done and other people haven't done. And those who haven't done them could be labeled an infidel or excommunicated or outside of God's blessing, outside of the religious uh, system. And so they would say the non-religious, yeah, well, they would perish without the law, sure, because they don't have, they're not obeying our laws. And they're thinking the whole time, my laws are making me right with God. So if you're not obeying my laws, whether you know it or not, you're still going to perish. Okay, so the religious would probably agree with that. They may agree with the heathen uh, perishing. We could have the immoral here or the merely moral, uh, the irreligious. There's a lot of words that uh, we could use here, but I think uh, heathen kind of captures those who are not religious um, So they may agree with the heathen uh, perishing. That's 12, the first part of 12. They're going to perish without the law. And then the second part of verse 12, the religious are starting to get uncomfortable. And all who have sinned under the law, so you have the law, but you're sinning, you will be judged by those laws. Okay, Yeah, well, that's why we have laws, right? So we have laws, and if we obey them, we feel good about ourselves, and if we disobey them, we feel like, oh, we're going to get what's coming to us. That's how how laws work, right? So that's the purpose of religion, is to help people know what what the right list of rules is. And when I talk to people, religious people, I will use a list of rules, okay? So here is an order of service. But let's imagine this is a list of rules. And there is a, a list of rules for every formal religion, And so if you go to whatever church and say, hey, can you tell me how to get to heaven? Some would say, well, you got a good chance if you, and they pull out a list, okay? They may not have it written like this. They may have it uh, in their traditions, in in how they operate as a church or or a group, Uh, but they've got some tenets that's written, that's taught, that's tried to be modeled by the leaders there. But that's what makes a religion different than just the moral person who doesn't go to church and doesn't follow a specific uh, written list of rules, leaders, uh, formally. So they're starting to get uncomfortable with 12b here because they may not agree that their sin will be judged. Often religious people are thinking, okay, here's my list of rules, and I have these memorized. And I have practiced these, and I'm trying to get better at them all the time. And in, get better, and in getting better at them, I've got a better chance of being right with God. You can see the uncertainty here, but that's the best they can do. That's all they've been taught. 
Okay, so we don't, we don't blame them, but Scripture is going to inform us how to talk to them and say it's not a list of rules. It's not the law. Okay, so this will represent the law. Okay, and you see the law over and over again here mentioned. These lists that we're trying to follow. We've been taught this. We've sung songs about it. And you're telling me how I've been taught as a child and now I'm 70 years old is not right? I said, yes. But in love, let me show you what Romans 2 says. We may not agree that their sin we judged, and they're definitely not going to agree with verse 13. Okay, so they, they will probably agree with the first part of verse 12. They may or may not agree with the, the end of verse 12. It, it makes sense. But verse 13, Paul is narrowing this focus on the religious and kind of tightening the vice here, and they're going to not like verse 13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So what's the parallel here? Both have law, both have the righteous are described, righteous before God are described later as justified, okay? So what's the difference in these two people? One hears the law, one does the law. Both hear the law. Jesus says this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The wise man hears the word and does it. The foolish man hears the word and doesn't do it. James 1 says this, but this is written to believers. This is not for those who are religious. So you have to have the right laws, okay? So let's imagine this is a Jewish law. Let's imagine this is the Ten Commandments, all right? And the Ten Commandments obey it perfectly, as the rich young ruler last week we saw tried to do. But he was disobeying the first one of having other gods before God, because when God told him to, what to do, he says, no, money is more important to me than following Jesus, so I'm keeping on, I'm holding on to my money. Okay, so money was his God. He's disobeying the first commandment. Okay, obey the, obey the Ten Commandments perfectly. Because that's the right list of rules, right? You got, you got the right list of rules. Now, there are other rules that religions have come up with, and those rules don't, aren't on par with, with the Old Testament laws. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus says in Matthew 5, 48, unless you're perfect. Perfect? So if you have been trained and sung and exercised your religion for generations, seven decades, and you've got the rules and you find out that your rules are either the wrong rules because they're not in God's Word, or they're the right rules, but you had to obey them perfectly. You can see your trust in your religion going, here I thought I had to do everything right. And now Paul says in verse 13, Okay, hearing the law, which is what religious people do. That's why they go to church. So tell me what I'm supposed to do. And their leaders tell them what they're supposed to do, and they try to model it for them. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Tell me what I'm not supposed to do. And they try to do it perfectly. 
But they realize, "Ah, I'm not perfect at this, but I'm trying to be perfect at this. As the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he was doing his dead-level best to be the absolute best Pharisee he possibly could have been. And still, he wasn't right with God. Tithing, praying. There are people that go to quite extremes, and you can see in church history, where live aesthetic lives away from culture, try to live holy lives. Some people live on top of a telephone pole. Uh, and sit up there, they go to monasteries, they go to all these different lengths to try to get rid of their sin. And they have heard the law. But it's not those who just hear the law, it's those who hear the law, who are righteous before God, but those who do the law, who will be justified will be justified, looks forward to a judgment time of which this uh, verse 16 ends with that judgment time. So they will strongly disagree with knowing the law is enough to be right with God. Or they will strongly disagree that you have to obey the law perfectly because they'll say, and I have heard this and you've probably heard this if you've evangelized, nobody's perfect. That's right. Nobody's perfect. But God expects perfection because Matthew 5.48 is as clear as, as what I just quoted to you. Unless you're perfect, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. As God in heaven is perfect. So you say, okay, <laughs> my religion then is causing me to doubt. That's where Paul wants to lead these immoral, moral, and now religious people to doubting what they have been trusting in. Because you're disobedient. As best as you try, you know you cannot stop lusting, hating, coveting. You've already dishonored your parents and you can't get rid of that. Lying. Yeah. And so you're disobedient. And you're not right with God. How the religious are not right with God. Second part, verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have law. So he's talking probably here to a Jewish audience, uh, or if you're talking to Jewish audience, as Paul did in Acts 13, I believe we looked at today in the synagogue. And Jesus often uh, talked to Jewish people this way, and uh, John the Baptist did uh, as well. So when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. So what is he saying? If you are religious, your religion gives you some level of morality where other people look at you and say, you're a good person. And you can look as a good person who's religious, trying to do good works, and you can look at other people who do not go to church, they don't go to your church, they don't follow the same list that you follow, and yet they also, you would have to look at them and say, they're pretty good people. They're a good person too. They're a good worker. They're faithful to their spouse. They're a nice neighbor. They take good care of their, of their family. Okay. So here I, here I am as a religious person 
trying to obey my rules, and I look at people who don't have my rules, and they're doing pretty good too. And you're like, okay, why are those people doing merely even? We're even here when it comes to the morality thing. Why am I just, why are people without my list of rules doing equally well as I am when it comes to being good? And the world can notice it. The world says, you're no different than them. Some, in some ways, they're actually better than you. And they're like, what? How, how is it that those who don't have my list of rules, the laws? Well, in our passage, the word law doesn't have the um, article, the, except for verse, the middle of verse 14 and the beginning of verse 15. So it could be all of those are lowercase laws and uh, the middle of verse 14, by nature do what the law requires. So I'm going to emphasize the law and probably should capitalize middle of 14. If you have a New American Standard, all of it's capitalized, um, and that's okay too, but um, looking at the Greek, you can see that um, just laws will be just like the list of rules that I, I mentioned. But whenever the Gentiles, now let's read it this way, when the Gentiles who do not have laws by nature do what the law requires, do Gentiles who don't have the law know that it's wrong to dishonor your parents? Answer, yes. Do Gentiles know that it's wrong to lie? Answer, yes. Do Gentiles know that it's wrong to cheat on your spouse? Answer, yes. Do they know that taking God's name in vain is wrong? Well, at least when they first do it, yes. If they do it a hundred thousand times, their conscience is probably seared and it's not working correctly. Do you know lying is wrong? How about, how about uh, killing? Do the Gentiles have rules about killing? Why? Because our conscience knows, tells us it's wrong. How about stealing? Taking what someone else has. Every culture has laws against stealing. Or they should. So the religious are not right with God, and they're comparing themselves with the moral people who are, don't have their list of laws. And why are... The Gentiles and the Jewish people who have God's law and the Gentiles who don't have God's law, why are they by nature doing what God's law requires? And then Paul says, because they have a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law before them, they don't have the list. So there is some, there's some more, so there's some strong disagreement there in verse 13. Now there's some confusion that Paul's trying to clear up here in verse 14. The religious can see that some non-religious or even heathen are moral. How do these non-religious people, heathen who don't have my rules, don't go to my church, have never been in a church, how are they moral? That's a good question. It's because of God's design. It goes back to creation again. The religious can see that some heathen are moral. And then the heathen morality reveals that all people have a conscience. Look at verse 15. They show, that's the Gentiles who are obeying 
the law of God without having it in writing before them. And they don't even know it. They haven't been taught it. They haven't sung songs about it. But they're obeying God's law. Why? Because they show that the work of the law, there is the other instance in this passage where law could be capitalized, and it is the law of God. Where is the law of God written? It's written on their hearts. Who has the law of God written on their hearts? This is going to help us in evangelism. Answer, everybody. Everybody in Romans 1, no matter how immoral, they have creation. In Romans 2, everybody has this. It's a conscience. Everybody knows what's right and wrong. Now, you can lie to and sear your conscience and think, if I would kill a lot of people, that would please my God. Well, your God is, is not the God of the Bible, but people uh, obey their conscience in the name of religion and can do some horrific crimes. But when it comes to this, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. So they have God's law written on their hearts, and then they have a conscience also that's going to refer to the law that's written on their hearts. So it's almost like they got an internal struggle with lawyers in a courtroom talking. Is this person innocent or guilty? And let's have the case for innocence. And then the lawyer that has the laws says, yes, he broke uh, one, three, and five. Okay, he's, he's guilty. And then and then the other lawyer says, but he obeyed 2, 4, and 6. Okay, so he, he isn't as guilty as, as other lawyer says. And so this is what our conscience does for us. It tells us not to do what's wrong. tells us to do what's right. Uh, we did a study on conscience. We'll probably do it again. Uh, there's 30 references to this word conscience in the Bible. Uh, and I had, a, I had a question this week on Friday from uh, someone in our church about conscience. So your conscience can be trained. It can be seared. Uh, it's different than the Holy Spirit um, because the Holy Spirit can't be trained. He informs our conscience. So every person has a conscience. Do what's right, don't do what's wrong. And whenever you go to a religious service, religion, it will inform your conscience. Oh, and they, you get your list of rules and you're like, oh, okay. And you're informing your conscience with your, with your laws, thinking if you can obey this, you've got a good chance of being right with God. And Paul's going to say, no. <laughs> no, because everybody has a conscience. And when people who don't even have your list are obeying your list, what's that proving? Your religion isn't as valuable as you think it is. It's not helping you in your relationship with God. Because even the heathen are moral. And they reveal that all people that God has created by design have a conscience. So the law is written on their hearts, and their conscience bears witness. What does their conscience tell them? It, it, it can give them conflicting or alternating thoughts. Accuse or excuse them. And we justify all kinds of things by internally by, okay, would I feel good about this, or would I feel guilty about this? Am I good about this? That's our conscience working, okay? And as we know more of God's Word, it informs us to make biblical choices and not just our conscience that can be trained or, or tricked or manipulated by uh, somebody's wrong list of rules. And so, 
inside of all of us is this conscience written on our hearts. God's law written on our hearts. So when we share God's law with people, we can imagine inside of them that lawyer talk. (laughs) We're appealing to their conscience inside of them because their conscience has already hammered them to say, you shouldn't lie. You shouldn't cheat on your spouse. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't have murderous thoughts. You shouldn't covet. All those laws are written on someone's heart, and whenever we tell them these laws are written down, they're going to feel guilty from without, because we're talking to them, and from within, which is good. Guilt is a very, very good thing. And the religious feel less guilty with their laws and trying to obey them, but this passage is not going to leave them very comfortable at all. Because you can train your conscience to just excuse all of your bad behavior and allow you to do, live really however you want. So the non-religious morality, the heathen, reveals that they all have a conscience. And then finally here, one verse, verse 16. So going back to verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. And this is a courtroom, okay? This is a, a small internal courtroom now, but now this intern and every, every person, seven, eight billion people on the earth have this going on inside of them, and they realize, okay, with creation of Romans 1, why do people hate the fact of a creator? Because of accountability. That's it. Okay, so if you can get rid of a creator, you don't have to be accountable to anybody, you can live however you want. That's logical, but you can't get rid of the Creator because He created you, and you're on His earth, and actually He sustains you. And we saw from Herod's testimony in in Acts this morning, if God says today is your last day, even if you're healthy, you're done. Why? Because He's the Creator. You don't decide how many days you have left. God decides that. And there is an appointment that we all have with death, and after death, the judgment. And that idea of the Creator created me, I'm going to give an account to Him, people hate that thought. So we got to get rid of the Creator. And Romans 1 tells us what your life will look like when you get rid of the Creator. You'll be full of all kinds of immoral things. But the religious people and the moral people don't get rid of the Creator but they don't realize how the Creator's going to judge them. So now Romans 2 says, this is how the Creator's going to judge you. A gift from your Creator to you when He created you was a conscience to lead you to realize that you're a sinner and you cannot do right even though you really want to do right. you got a list of rules to do right. You're trained to do right. You can't do it. You cannot do it on your own. And you're going to stand before your Creator. And it's fascinating here that on that day, verse 16, on that day, okay, you're going to stand there with you and having had this conflicting thoughts in your mind about a lot of choices that were questionable, what should I have done them, should I have not done them, should I have said that, should I have not said that, throughout your life. Conflicting thoughts because your conscience has God's 
law informing it because the God's law is written on your heart. Verse 16, on that day, when according to my gospel, according to my gospel? This is the third time Paul has mentioned gospel. One of our theme verses of Romans is Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. He also mentions the gospel in his introduction, that he is a set-apart for the gospel of God. His mission in life, chosen by God, was to share this gospel. The gospel is the good news, and Christ is the center of the gospel. So how God judges all people, Jesus Christ, on that day, according to my gospel, the good news, well, if you're a religious, moral, immoral person that Paul has addressed so far or has informed the church on how to address them, this isn't good news for them. It's bad news, but the gospel means good news. So why does he say, according to my gospel? Christ Jesus will judge according to the gospel. Christ died for sinners, and he rose to prove that he defeated sin. And the religious people says, that's nice for you, but I got my list. And we tell them, no, Christ died for you. They would say, I'm all set. I got my list. And you say, you don't understand. Inside of you, you know what I'm telling you is true because you have a conscience. And they say, that stopped working years ago. Or I've trained it so it doesn't bother me anymore. Okay? You know children are born and they are not where Romans 1 is? Every child believes there's a God. Only adults try to believe there's not a God. Children want to know about their Creator, for the most part, until their Creator gets in the way of their lifestyle. And now it's easier and easier and easier to get rid of the Creator, for the moral person to get rid of laws, for the religious person to get rid of anyone who's going to contradict their laws. And all of these things, God has by design made man to need Him. You say, I don't like God's design. You aren't the designer. The person you talk to says, well, that's selfish of God. You are not God to judge the all-knowing, perfect God. He's not wrong in making us to need Him. He's very perfectly wise. But whenever we judge God, that's what moral people do. That's what some religious people do. That's what immoral people just hate God. But we are going to be judged. The whole world is going to be judged according to the gospel. And Christ doesn't die for immoral people and religious people and moral people. Who does Christ die for? Sinners. And the religious, the religious of Jesus' day thought they could see, and Jesus said in John 9, if you think you can see, you're still blind. Religion blinds people. 
Immorality blinds people. Morality blinds people to their need of their sin. And this is taking the mask, one mask off after another. So no one stands before God with a mask that I am right with you, God. No, everyone is guilty before God when we get to Romans 3. He will judge according to the gospel. Christ died for sinners. The one who is judging is the one who died. The one who is judging is also the one who created John 1 and Colossians 1 tell us that. How will he judge? Look at verse 16. On that day when according to my gospel... So you you reject the gospel, you're under God's judgment. There's one way to be right with God, and it's Jesus Christ died for your sin and rose, and you have to trust him alone, okay? Any other way that's a false gospel, any other Jesus, you have false Jesus, a false gospel, anything else you add to that, it's not the gospel. And God judges the secrets of men. The religious are desperate to look good outwardly. You can dress up. You can get very elaborate clothing on. You can follow people who look like kings whenever they offer some sort of grace from God. And God does not judge outwardly as man judges. God judges the heart. And the immoral are wrong with God. The moral are wrong with God, and the religious are wrong with God, because all of us, our private thoughts and our private actions, are not right with God. God judges the secrets of men. The whole world can think that we're good, and God says, depart from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Only his opinion counts, and he tells us how to be right with him, and it's not by being good, and it's not by being religious. And here at the last phrase, by Christ Jesus. He doesn't say Jesus Christ, and I wonder if it's because the emphasis there is on Christ Jesus. Christ is the anointed one or the king. Kings judge. Oh, right, yeah, king sits on his throne, he judges, and you'll see we have two judgments in the Bible that are mentioned, the judgment seat of Christ and then the great white throne. And I just read Revelation 20, and the one who is seated on the throne in Revelation 20 sounds a lot like it is Jesus of Revelation 1 and 2. Jesus is the one who judges the world. John 5, Jesus tells the people there, he was talking to the Jewish people, the Father has given all judgment to the Son. The Son is the one who judges. And here is Jesus on earth as a judge. He's going to be the judge, and he's telling these people, you're going to stand before me. Get right with me. And they say, we don't want to get right with you. We're going to get rid of you. And we tell people, as Jesus ambassadors today, there's one way to be righteous, and it's not by religion, and it's not by being good. And it's not by being bad. It's by Jesus taking your place. You're throwing yourself on his mercy. And the two most wicked people in the Gospels that were right with God, a tax collector, and all we have is his, 
his title, tax collector, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the other, a thief. We don't even know his name. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Both exercised repentance from their sin, self-righteousness, and trusting completely in what Jesus did on the cross to pay for their sin. We're going to get there in Romans. We want to, I want to jump there. <laughs> we can't. Let's pray and ask God for wisdom to, to share this hard truth with the religious people around us. Our Father, we thank you for your truth from Romans 2. Thankful for uh, your people here that want to know you and want to represent you to their family, to their friends who are religious, who are moral, and who are immoral. We want to reach all people for you. We want all people to be in your family. We want no one to be condemned. We want to have your heart, and if we don't have your heart, break our hearts of stone, wanting someone to be condemned to hell, and allowing them just to go their own way without a warning. I pray that you would inform us with Romans 1 and 2 to know how, who we're talking to and how to start up conversations, how to befriend people, and how to lead them to their need of Christ, to release them from their conviction of sin from their list of rules that can never provide salvation, from their good deeds that are never going to outweigh their bad deeds, and from their suppressing the truth and unrighteousness to seeing creation and praising and thanking their Creator instead of hating Him. Show us and lead us this week to bring people across our path that need you and by your glory and for your glory, we want to uh, point them uh, toward Christ. In his name we pray, amen.